It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Today I'm joined by Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen, and our special guest Heather Garriock on International Women's Day as we count down 500 days to the Women's World Cup and look at the biggest heavy hitters, Barcelona, Bayern, and the best that the women's game have to offer. Before we look back at the Premier League, the Manchester derby was a one-sided affair. So was Tottenham Everton. How much of a job does Frankie Lampard have to do? Jesse Marsh, USA, and that starts at Leeds despite a 1-0 loss. And we also talk park football. Roberto Carlos playing for a pub team. Who has our panel played for? All that and plenty more coming up on the game board. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to a very special edition of the Gagan Pod. I'm joined by Thomas Sorensen, Michael Bridges, and our very special guest, Heather Garriock. You might have seen her popping up on Optus Sport around. And look, it's 500 days till the Women's World Cup, so I thought it was a great opportunity to get you on, Heather. So many top storylines from the women's game and the world game. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And it's International Women's Day today, so very fitting, Claude's. Very, very fitting. And we've got so much to get to. And it's been an incredible weekend. I worked on the highlights yesterday with Scotty McDonald, and we were just trying to fathom some of the incredible goals from the women's game in the top leagues in Spain, in Germany. So there's so much to talk about with the women's Euros on Optus as well. So we don't have to look all the way to the Women's World Cup. But we'll touch on that in a second. There's a game on at the moment. I want to bring you guys into it. Michael Bridges, I know you're smiling from ear to ear this morning. Tottenham Hotspur 5-0 up at the moment against Everton. It's a pretty good day at the office. It's fantastic. Harry Kane is on the score sheet. Son is on the score sheet. Pickford, the goalkeeper of the Union. Tommy's on this podcast having a nightmare in goal. Kane scoring an own own goal. It's great days for Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. What a win. Well, just to touch on that, Harry Kane, he scored two, and there's still a while to go in this game. If he scores another one, he will beat Frank Lampard's record of goal scored in the Premier League. And Frank Lampard, of course, is the manager of the other team, Everton. So a bit of a double blow to him. Tommy, is this a sign of what's to come to Everton? Could they potentially be the best side to get relegated? You know, I think a saving grace for them could possibly be that the teams below them uh, don't look to be in great form. You you saw Norwich, obviously... uh, not getting uh, it done against Brentford um, and, and Burnley. Uh, I thought they were going to be better. And, and they have a huge game against Brentford as well this weekend. So I think that could be a saving grace. But, but you just look at the game, the two first goals. You know, they, they're killing themselves. You know, Pickford, obviously, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, and, and then Keane again, like he did against Man City. You know, really, really poor defending. And, and like we see with Man United, you know, poor defending is going to kill you. Bridgie, just a quick one on, on Everton before we move on. You look at their fixtures coming up. Wolves, and we know how Wolves how good they've been. Wolves, Newcastle, West Ham, Manchester United, Palace, Liverpool, Chelsea. Is Frank Lampard the man to steer them to safety here? And is there a certain player that's missing that's going to step up for them? What is the key for Everton to turn this around? 
I'd like to think that Frank can do it, and Everton's a massive, massive club. Um, new stadium getting built, and I'd like to think Frank is the man, but he's never been in that situation before. I think the, the experience comes with managers that have been there and done it. Allardyce is known for putting out fires. Big big Sam, that was his that was his go-to. So it's going to be very, very interesting. It'll be a challenging time. Has he got that motivation? Yes, he has. Has he got the determination? Yes, definitely. Has he got the experience? Massive question marks. But I, I think they've got enough to, to do it. Um, and Calvin Lewin is back as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing him start. You know, he's another English striker that's trying to do the wonders and get back to fitness. And I think he'll play a massive, massive part. Their issues are defensive. And you being a Chelsea man will know everything about Frank Lampard when he was at Chelsea. They didn't have that defensive structure, they, you know, going scoring. So that, that can be very costly when you're at the bottom. The defensive unit, they must keep clean sheets. Bridgie, though, defensively, uh, as you know, it's very tough to, to sign a striker and score goals. But it, it's much easier to be compact and be able to be defensively disciplined. And it's just, it's just it's it's a trend with Lampard, uh, I think. And I yeah, I, I think uh, you, you're saying that you think he can do it. Uh, however, five nil today and the game's not even finished. I think he's struggling. Do you know what it's very much like? It was like the Bielsa with Leeds. He doesn't didn't get numbers back behind the ball. They play a very expansive game. It's brilliant when it works, but when you're coming up against the best teams like City and Liverpool and you, you're getting exposed and getting beat 5-6-0, and six nil, it was so refreshing to see Jesse Moss, the new manager, come in and make Leeds look very, very similar when they're counter-attacking, but defensively they look so much better and organised because they had numbers behind the ball. And they got beat 1-0. They were very hard done by. So that's the kind of thing that I don't see. Don't know whether Frank's got that in his locker. We're going, to, we're going to get to Leeds United in a second, but probably the biggest game in the weekend, Heather, was the Manchester Derby. City, 4-1 win against Manchester United. Was there any surprise at all there from you? Did you expect anything better from Manchester United or business as usual? You'd expect better from Man United. It's it's just, it, well, obviously, we, we've got the Ronaldo effect. Um, he's obviously spat the dummy and, and decided that he's on the bench and, and doesn't want to play, but... Um, I thought they were in the game the first 30 minutes and, and did really well and um, won one in the, in the first 30. And then just just defence. We, we, we constantly talk about defensive errors. And um, and then City. City scored some bomb goals. Um, but, yeah, Manchester United are in tatters, in my opinion. And, and I think it starts with the dressing room. Um, if one of your star players isn't on track and isn't leading by example, then it makes it difficult. And, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised Man City equality. Um, but Manchester United, they need to get their act together. Yeah, Tommy, we'll talk, we'll touch on Cristiano Ronaldo in a second, but looking at the team that did play, Ralph Ranić opted for a false nine in Bruno Fernandes with Pogba in behind. As Heather said, it looked like it was kind of working early on. Of course, there was question marks raised when Pogba was taken off. Rashford obviously left out of this side. He preferred to go with playing a midfielder at false nine. Did you think Ralph Ranić got it right, or is he at fault for this game? Where Where, where can you point the finger? You know, he, he definitely threw everything at, at Man City and, and, and said to them, hey, whatever you can do, we can, we can do as well. Um, and, and, I, and I agree with Heather. I think for, for, the, for the first 30 minutes, it, it, it sort of looked okay. I think United were in the game. But again, you know, if you haven't got a back line uh, and, and if, if there's no sort of connection between the, the, the holding midfielders, uh, and the back four, then, you know, you can play whatever system you want. Uh, and also I feel, you know, just the, you know, just the will to get a tackle in, get a block in, you know, that, that cross, you know, Van Bissaka, you know, you, you got to stop that cross. Uh, and then, mm. you know, we can all pile on, you know, Harry Maguire and, and he's obviously, we, you know, we need to have a, a minute of silence for his, his, uh, 
you know, the way he's playing at the moment. But, you know, he's also left exposed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's just a sad thing to see. And I thought it just fell apart. It's been, it's been a, a trend this season. You know, they play well in, in one half and then they totally fall apart in the second. Yeah, Bridgie, when we, when we look at Man United there and we look at Man City, after the game you had Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, Michael Owen, Gary Neville. They all come out and they all say it's not good enough and we should be beating these teams and these players aren't wearing the badge. United should be there. United should be there. Do you buy into this sense of entitlement or do you just think that it's quite plain and simple where United sit at the moment as a club and as a squad? I think it's where they sit as a club um, on and off the field. Uh, and what I, what I find, I mean, I, I, I really, really rate Paul Pogba when he plays for France. I think yeah. Diamond. And when I watch him playing for Man United, I just don't see any desire, I don't see any heart. And, uh, you know, Roy Keane cracks me up. I absolutely love listening to him because he, he says, oh, get off Twitter, these guys, and all the haircuts. He's very old school. And I love because Micah Richards is the new guy in the UK and he's all flamboyant and he's up for all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's interesting to see the, the dynamics between the two, but I've got to agree with Roy Keane on certain things because there was challenges that weren't getting made by Man United. They look lacklustre, and to get dominated by your rivals that much, really? Are Man United that far off Manchester City? I, it, they shouldn't be because the players on the field and on paper, it, there's just a massive been a dynamic shift in that football club ever since Sir Alex Ferguson has left, and they've never been able to find, find their momentum again, and I just think there's a massive stigma around the United at this moment in time. It was an unbelievable stat in the last 10 minutes that showed that there was over 90% possession for City. So clearly United... United are setting records for the wrong reasons, Claude. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> unbelievable. Heather, we, we touched on Cristiano Ronaldo, but I want to dive into it a little bit more because, look, I guess we haven't heard the the final story. We don't know. We've heard rumours. Ralph Ranić came out and said that Ronaldo was not feeling fit enough to play. The rumour is that he heard he was on the bench and pulled himself out of the squad. And then there were rumours that he even took a trip to Portugal, so he didn't even attend the game. Heather, it is Ronaldo, and he is one of the greatest players of all time. Does that give him the right to do these kind of things, or do you think it's it's wrong from a man that should be leading this club, whether he's injured or not? Look, I'll, I'll put the responsibility back on, on him as a player, but, but also the manager as well. Um, when you've got a player of that magnitude that can affect the game and score big-time goals, and you're in, um, I guess, dire straight when it comes to, to playing... Um, I, I think I think it's both of them. But if Ronaldo did pull himself off and um, not allow himself to be on the bench, then that, that, that's a reflection. You can't come back from something like that. Um, but from a team perspective, it, it's just um, I, I think it's more of an identity piece. They need to find a manager that has the identity, and they tried to do it with uh, Solskjaer. Um, about what it means to play for Man United, what it means uh, to the club. That's why the old boys are, are carrying on, like your Skulls and your Giggs and your Keane, um, because these players are, are, are being more... It's about um, playing and, and the haircuts and, and what they're saying. But Ronaldo is not like that. He's, not the, the, he's, he's like the old school. He works hard. He sets an example most of the time. But, um, look, let's see, let's see what the story is. Uh, but... Yeah, look, it's it's the the club's in tatters. Um, I think, as a good manager, any good manager would um, build their squad around one of the star starter players like um, Ronaldo, and he just hasn't done that. So I would I would reflect more about the manager than anything. 
Mm, yeah, we heard this story with Anthony Martial earlier in the season where the manager said that he chose not to play. Martial came in and said, no, that's not true. The manager left me out. And then about a week later, he was off on a plane to Sevilla. So, you know, there, there seems to be some friction between the players and the manager. Tommy, did you ever play with any players that overruled the manager or pulled themselves out of match day squads or just had that extra authority where it's like there was a player in the dressing room that had more power than the gaffer? Uh, yeah. Uh, when I first joined the national team, uh, Peter Smichael, I tell you, he was, he was, he was the manager. <laughs> Uh, it was it was funny when we when we went to the so I just sort of come in the team. I, I went to the Euros in 2000 in Holland, Belgium, and and I don't think he attended a training session. Or if he did, uh, he was only there briefly. Uh, and when we were coming back to the hotel on the team bus, he was on the first tee, driving off, uh, playing the golf. Uh, so, so, you know, he just did whatever he wanted. He, he did it, but he wasn't right. But, you know, nobody dared say anything. Wow. He can do whatever he wants, though, can't he? So, Tommy, are you, you're quite close with the Schmeichel family? Yeah, no, I'm good friends with Casper. Uh, and, and, again, I speak to, to Peter whenever I'm, I'm with him as well and uh, at family functions. Because did pretty much the, the, the Danish goalkeeping dynasty, didn't it pretty much go... Schmeichel, Sorensen, Schmeichel? Like, were you right in between the two generations of Schmeichels? Uh, nearly. Yeah. Uh, I obviously, I took over from Peter and then there was a couple of other, uh, Lindegaard was in there, Anderson, yeah. um, and then Casper sort of uh, came after Euros uh, 2012. So, yeah. Nearly, yeah. nearly there's a <laughs> inter interchange there. Well, there you go. He's, he's won the treble with United. He's rolled into international camp, can do whatever he wants. Bridgie, you ever played with players that just, they, they had the dressing room on lock and it didn't really matter what the manager said? No, I didn't really come across anything like that. Um, we had a, you know, we had Gary Kelly, that was the character, the Irish right back. He would carry the dressing room in different ways just because he was, you know, he was seen as a senior pro, but he was just a lunatic and he, he, he acted like a 10-year-old. He had the mentality of a school kid, but it was entertaining and funny. But I, n I never came across anybody that had undermined any manager. Um, and I think the, you know, the culture that we had at the clubs, if that did happen on a couple of occasions, they were shot down straight away. I think I think the only issue we probably had was when we had um, we signed a lad called uh, Jody Morris um, from Chelsea, and Jody came in to Leeds United when we were on the down, and he he didn't quite um, I, I don't know what it was. He just didn't fit in straight away, and it took a few of the boys to pull him into to line and, and tell him to get on the straight and narrow. Um, and Gary Kelly was one of them guys. So we, we had a very, very good kind of camaraderie, mate. We never let anybody do that. Well, I, I heard stories that Heather Garriock was in charge of every changing room that she was in, and it really didn't matter who the gaffer was. Heather, you, you surely, you, you ran the dressing room. No, not. I'm going to deflect that comment, Claude, because I've got a better story. Um, at times, I, I think uh, the best coaches that I had would make me think that I ran the dressing room. Um, okay. So that, that was the, the important thing. But, look, have to mention Lisa Devana. Um, she's, yeah, definitely, uh, she certainly did whatever she wanted, when she wanted, um, but she played her best football and she could win us matches and World Cup games. So, um, yeah, the gaffer, um, I remember one time she, she, she'd walk off training, mid-training, mid, mid um, there was a World Cup qualifier we had, she was on the bench, she was curled up and uh, with a blanket on. Uh, Tommy said to her, you, you're ready to go on, Lisa? She goes, no, I don't feel like it today, Tommy. Just left her off. Um, yeah, so she's just. Um, but this is standard. Very unpredictable. Uh, but what do you what do you do? So the players would complain, but you need to you need to weigh it up. Um, she's she, she's a, a a freak when it comes to football um, and won us games and and whatnot. So how do you allow her to 
behave like that, but also know that um, she's, she's going to score goals in, in crucial times. I don't think this, this current generation understood um, her worth and, and, and found it, I guess, found it... Um, they would have found it hard to accept, wouldn't they? Yeah, they found it hard to accept, mm. whereas uh, old school players like myself and, and, and Cheryl Salisbury and whatnot knew it was important that, um, you know, to allow her to behave like a five-year-old, um, but when it came to the big games. They, Heather, did the coach explain that to you as well to say, listen, there's a few things, out. we've got standards, we've got, you know, I've got targets and we've got things that I'll allow, but with Lisa, you know, there's a few things I wouldn't have to let go. Did he ever, was that ever explained to, to you as a, as a group of players away from Lisa so you've understood that more? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, yeah, he did. And um, I think that's why it was, um, and she, she entrusted in us as well and knew that she didn't behave correctly. Um, but, the, the thing about it is, is, is she's got the best heart, and um, but yeah, it's it's about managing different different personalities, yeah. and we we go back to Ronaldo as well. He'll want to be managed completely different to um, Lingard or or Rashford, um, but as a, the best managers in the world know how to manage each individual player mm. and bring the team together. Yeah, well, it is it is that personal relationship which is an element of management that we often overlook but in the modern game it becomes all the more important we've spoken about that Bridgie it's gone are the days of treating every player the same right a young mind a young athlete is very different nowadays and an even older athlete as you see with Cristiano Ronaldo but uh, look the big question now is Ralph Ranić. we knew it was going to be a temporary appointment we know that he's going to move on to the director of football role he's only managed for two years in the last 10 years besides that he's been a director of football that's his native role that's where he's best used so who is going to come in next? Tommy, Ten Hag has been linked to Man United. I feel as though that will be a very different vibe to Mauricio Pochettino. What do they need right now? They need to align things. You know, they need to obviously work out what is Ranić's role when, when he, he looks like he's going to finish at the end of the season. Um, what position, what say has he got? Um, what's the strategy that he's going to try to implement? Because that has to be aligned with a manager. You can't bring in a manager that, that thinks differently. You know, so... You know, I think again, they love conflicts. Yeah, and and uh, going back to what Heather said, you know, it's it's about culture. It's about building a long-term, sustainable strategy, um, and that starts with you know people being on the same page. So, so I think who, whoever comes in, um, you know, I, I think Ten Ten Hag or Pochettino would would be good uh, appointments. But do they fit in whatever Manchester United will try to do? Um, that that's going to be the big question. So. Uh, Again, it's going to be. I think they'll end up with a problem with Ranić, you know, with with promise, you know, promising him that uh, that role at the end of the season because, you know, uh, it, it might be a hindrance. Bridgie, who who would you like to see take the reins at United? Because I feel like Pochettino would be would be maybe the one that the players would want to come in because he seems like someone who gets along with the players, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right move for the club. I do not want to see Pochettino managing any other Premier League team. He's a Tottenham man. Let's just remember him for what he was. I know he didn't win anything, but I love the guy and the relationship he had with the players. I totally agree. I think they would see from the outer. And a lot of the lads that get together with England have seen Harry Kane and, and Dyer talk about this man, Pochettino. Uh, he's very well thought of. But um, I think uh, Tenag could be the guy that gets it. I think, the, I think there would be a better bond and a better relationship between him and Ranić. I think it would be an easier, easier transition. Mm. Um, and I think they would get on a lot more because I think Pochettino would kind of go, you know what it is, mate, do one. Whereas I think um, Hag would actually embrace it and say, let's come up with something. You go, and, Ranyuk, you go and sort out the future of this club. Like Tommy says, they need some direction from youth all the way through again. Mm. And I think that is his role. I've seen, uh, you know, I worked under an unbelievable coach, a guy called Brian Kidd, who was at Newcastle United 
uh, Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson for years. Brian was the nicest guy in the world and he had to go at management. And he came into Leeds United as an assistant coach. Absolutely brilliant on and off the field. He was tactically amazing. He understood um, the relationship with players, but he was just so nice. He had to go at management with Blackburn Rovers and it just didn't work because he was so, such a nice guy. He didn't know how to drop people and do things. And I remember speaking to him afterwards. I said, did he enjoy management? He said, Bridgie, man, nah. He said, I am an assistant coach and I will always be an assistant coach. I know my role now. And I think that's what Rav Ranić has had to go at it. He's had a taste of it, but you've got to know what you are good at. And he's, you know, he's, his record speaks for itself with players he's developed and brought through, and the, you know, the way he's, he's come up with this whole philosophy for RB. Well, Bridgie, you've just mentioned there. If Eric Ten Hag was the type of person to come in, he would have to implement something at youth level and all throughout the club. And we saw something similar with Sir Alex Ferguson. Everyone that has been at United during that era said that he ran everything, everything from the first team down. Heather. Modern football, though, in a club like Manchester United that is so big and has such a worldwide um, spread, and there's no time to really... You, you look at Ferguson's first few years, mid-table finishes. United probably doesn't have that time nowadays. Can a manager like Eric Ten Hag be given two, three, four, five years to finish a project, or does that just not happen anymore? Yeah, it probably doesn't happen anymore, but in saying that, <clears throat> for a big club, club like Manchester United... You need that to happen because it's constantly we're going through or they're going through managers. But succession planning is the key and building the foundations and the right foundations. Otherwise, you're just going to go burn through managers. Um, you need a coach that understands the culture of the club, that understands the history of the club, that can draw. And, and they need a philosophy and the club from youth up until the first team need to understand that, that philosophy the language is important, um, the way in which they play, their identity. And talking about, and I was thinking about what it is they actually need, Poch, mate, he's not going to come over um, to Manchester United. He's on a good thing at PSG. He's, he, he's... he will not be there next season at PSG. They don't want him. I think we'll see, I think we'll see Zidane get that job. Wouldn't be surprised, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I want to throw a name out there. There's, there's a manager in French League as well, Christophe Gaultier, who's manager of Nice, and beat PSG on the weekend. And I think that that is the next big manager in world football. If you look at his record, only in French football, it's been phenomenal with Saint-Étienne. As soon as he left Saint-Étienne, they've been in the dumps. He was very good with Lille. He won the league with Lille last year. Now he's at Nice and he's pushing PSG at the top of the table. He's a very good manager. He's fiery on the sidelines, out really out there with the media. And I'd love to see him maybe make the move to English football. So that's another name for people to keep an eye on, Christophe Gaultier. That's why you get paid um, the big, big. Man, you know so much stats. I love it. Bridgie, do you think do you think Manchester United need a British manager? No, don't even get me started on this because I think might be coming to this very very soon. Heather. <laughs> <laughs> British? I'm not sure. Let's, Let's go, go for there. English. <laughs> Let's go there now. Let's go there now, right? Because Leeds United have announced their new manager, of course, Jesse Marsh. Yeah, America baby took his first game in charge. It was one man. <laughs> it was a one 0 loss to Leicester, but you know Leeds. Took a lot of positives from it. They had 19 shots to Leicester's seven. They played very well. They lost the game, um, and he brought the team in for a team huddle afterwards, which I don't think there was anything wrong with. But, of course, you know, the media was straight on it, saying it was a very USA, you know, basketball, NFL-style team huddle to talk about things. I, I, I think that that was a bit dramatic. Um, but he, he's been quite open in the media, saying that he understands the biases, and he hasn't watched Ted Lasso, but he knows that coming in even just with his accent might hurt him a little bit initially, and people will think he doesn't know what he's talking about because he has an American accent. Bridgie, as someone British, you grew up there. 
do you feel that you know if you were to get an American or an Australian coming over and talking football, does that does that hurt their chances early on? Do you think that there is this bias towards those nations because they're not developed footballing nations? Of course, it's an arrogance and it's an egotistical view thing. I mean, I've got to I've got to agree with you. It's a way to think. Oh, we created the game, we invented the game, and um, we know everything about the game. It, it's not the way. So the you know the Ted Lasso documentary. I don't think that helped any American coaches. And also, there's a program in England called Soccer AM. Used to do a, an American skit team, a guy called Bob Wadley, yeah. and it was just a total wind up. So that doesn't help. And I think you know what what you've got to look at Ange Postecoglou, and I still tell the story about Sunderland. I wanted Ange to get the Sunderland job before Chris. Coleman did. I was speaking to Martin Bain about it. I said, get this guy and he'll change the culture of your club. He's a serial winner, blah, blah, blah. And the, his comments were, I've never heard of this guy. And I'm saying, he's just, you know, he's won things. He's won the Asian Cup. That just shows you how, how much of a bubble they, they're living without having a look at the bigger picture and seeing it. And I'm delighted that Ange has gone and broken the trend now. And he's gone to Celtic. He's at a massive, massive club. And the media give him crap from day one. And Ange handled it like you would not believe. He was swatting flies off left, right and centre. And he said, I'll do the talking on the field. And he's done that. And it's kind of breaking the trend. Jesse Marsh, again, um, a lot of stuff came from Leeds fans. Like, what is going on here? Who is this guy? He's won things. I like his personality. And I like what he said. And if you look at the football that they were playing in that first game, defensively much more organised. So it, it is an arrogant, negatistical way that the English look at these guys. Um, but again, I don't think Docos have helped. Tommy, you played under some old school British managers. <laughs> um, you know, coming Peter coming Reed into, <laughs> coming into Premier League as a foreigner, maybe it's different as a footballer. But did you feel any of that as a footballer, or did you at least see any of that from a management level that there was this maybe prejudice towards lesser developed footballing nations? Yeah, for sure, some some arrogance, a uh, sense of entitlement, like Bridgie uh, alluded to. I, I think there's. Is seeing through the English game, uh, but I think it, it's also changed. I didn't feel it as a player. I think, um, mm. you know, you, you you came with a lot of respect. Um, you know, maybe coming from from Denmark with with some players already being in England, uh, the Danish team doing pretty well. I think, you know, that gives you a bit of an advantage. But but you always have to earn your stripes, no matter you know where you come from. I, I've seen England as coming with with a big reputation and and being torn apart. So. You know, it, it's not a one-way street. You know, it's not just foreigners. You know, it happens it happens to everyone. At the end of the day, you have to prove yourself. Um, you, you know, you have to turn up. And 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 again, I think Marsh will, will do really well at Leeds. I think that what they showed against Leicester was was superb. Do you know what the hardest thing to do? I mean, that that huddle that he did after the game. I, I was I witnessed Phil Brown do a huddle at half time when Hull City were getting beat four 0 and he just basically berated the players. And I was at that football club. Right. And he hammered the lads in front of the stadium. In front, yeah, he hung them out of dry. Completely different. The thing that Jesse's done, he's got them together. He's got them out in the field, and he's given them a pep talk because he's probably saying to them, "By the way, lads, that was unbelievable. The performance we put in there. Keep your heads hanging out. If we have that attitude and that mentality for the rest of these games, we're going to survive." That's the. You don't know what was said in that inner sanctum. Any industry, any business, and especially in football, there is a massive culture, and we stick by things that we do. And it's the norm. Just because he's done something out of the ordinary and change it, everybody goes, oh, that's not right. You can't do that. Well, yeah, you can. I used to look, I, I prefer watching in, when I'm coaching. I prefer watching in the stand like they do in the NRL. And you can see the bigger picture because it's like watching a big tactics board rather than being at pitch level. And I don't know how Bielsa used to do it when he was sitting on his haunches because all you can see is people's knees. <laughs> Sam Allardyce started doing that. And again, people saying, oh, why is he up in the stand? That's a joke. He should be on the sideline. 
it's just a cultural thing. You've got to change. You've got to change things to go and go forward in, in life in all industries. And when you try and do something, even just to get a one percent a difference to inspire your club or something, I'll do that. I'll change the norm, and that's what Jesse's trying. So let, let you know the people that are having a go. Andy Townsend was critical of him, and we were watching him up to sport. And I thought, just shut up, mate, will you? Have you ever coached? Have you ever managed? You haven't been in that situation. He's trying to bond these players together. Yeah, I feel like recently there's been these, these criticism from the media, but we know we know European football media in general loves to do that, loves to sell any headline that they can. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Heather, we talk about Americans and, and Australians being treated a certain way. Would you say it's the opposite in the women's game? Because Australia and the US, I guess, moved first and were such powerhouses earlier than the European nations. Are they a lot more respected? And Australian managers, Australian players uh, can walk into the European game and then straight away open the door and listen? No, not at all. I, th- I think it's very similar. Um, it's it's similar across the board, to be honest. Um you got an English accent here in Australia. You uh, obviously can take the the, the manager's role. Um, whilst that's how Bridgie got a job. Yeah, that's how Bridgie got a job. Yeah, exactly right. I'm trying. I'm trying. But from from an, an Aussie point of view and um, US coach point of view, there is a stigma attached to the way in which they play. Well, obviously, we we'll, we'll talk about the the women's um, European leagues and how prominent they are and how quality they are and the, the type of football they're playing. Um, an American coach plays a certain style of football, um, whereas it's great to see um, Jesse's ta- tactics on the weekend and how they, they have played uh, leads. Um, but in the women's game, it's it's you're attached to a stigma. So for, for an Australian coach, um, we would be re- respected, but not compared to a European coach by no means. Mm. Well, let's go there now. Happy Happy International Women's Day to to everyone listening, and it's a it's a just fantastic timing, isn't it? With the the Football Australia announcing the Para Matildas as well yesterday, that's an incredible initiative. And 500 days to the Women's World Cup, there just feels like such a buzz around the women's game, which has been going on here for quite some time. Um, and I want to I want to start talking, Heather, firstly about the Women's World Cup, and because we saw the most recent performance from our national team at the Asian Cup, it probably wasn't what was expected now we get to see here at Optus Sport the women's euros and i'm very excited for that because if if the club football is anything to go by spain germany england even italy they've all improved out of sight what can we look forward to and are these european nations going to be the main contenders for the world cup next year do you think yeah and spanish as well uh spain i think spain are the dark horse uh, spain are going to win heather i agree with you yeah it's uh, the reason why i'm so excited for the euros being on optus is because Australia is going to get a taste of what's to come in 2023 to see some of the quality that's coming out of Europe and 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 um, the English leagues for that matter, um, the WSL. It's just it's so exciting. Um, you can now not just have a player like a like a Mia Ham back in the day um, where there was just one player that you wanted to look up to. There's so many players that have got so many different. Um, strengths and and whether it's a defender or an overlapping fullback, obviously we've got Ellie Carpenter who, who's an Aussie, um, but but also you've got Mietema that's the, the, that's up front. 
um, you know, Mead that plays a, a, a role in England. It's it, there's the excitement um, for this European football. I'm excited, um, but it's just it's just come so far. But it, it's to the credit of the investment of the major clubs like your Juve, uh, like your Barca's, like your Reals, um, like your Chelsea's that have invested so much money in the women because they understand that how important um, men's and women's football is and football in general and. Um, to, for this to be on our shores, yeah, the, the European teams and all the, the world's best teams um, in 2023 is just so exciting. And for the Euros, um, I'm sure there'll be some young boys and girls um, wanting to wanting to see the quality and, and, and see role models and be excited to see them here in Australia and New Zealand. Claude, being the stat man that you are and your knowledge of football and the game around the world is incredible. What countries is the Euros in? Because I know it's hosted in England, but there's other, are, they, are they doing something similar to what the men's did in, in several countries? Do you know? No, it's in, it's in England. It is yeah, all in England, yeah, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. all in England, yeah. which would be great because obviously, you know, the stadiums, every time England hosts a footballing event, it's huge. And the rumours are at the moment that England look like front runners to host the 28 Euros as well, the men's 28 Euros. So plenty of football on English shores. They absolutely love it. Just booking my flights now. I'm going back in July to watch that. There you go. I'm going to watch it live. Yeah, you were saying you're going to go back for the Women's Euros, yeah? Going to go back for the Women's Euros. Why not? Yeah, my daughter would be well up. She, she's mad for a football at the minute. She's 15. She's absolutely loving it. Sammy Kerr was the girl, I've told you, inspired her when she did a, a goal against Chile, I think it was, or Brazil at the McDonald Jones Stadium. And ever since then, it's just been a love affair with the Matildas and uh, my favourites, the girl that Heather just mentioned, Ellie Carpenter. She is just a workhorse, man. But the women's Euros over there, yeah, we've got to go and watch that live. And I will keep one with Optus, don't worry. Yeah, you better be, you better be doing that. Uh, and Spain and Germany, as, as Heather mentioned, they're both powerhouses of the of the women's game, and they're in a group with Denmark. Thomas, tough, <laughs> tough group. But you, you've been back to Denmark, and have you seen the growth of women's football there? Because dare I say, Denmark, Sweden, a lot of these nations moved earlier in the women's game and kind yeah. of got it a bit earlier than the rest of Europe. Yeah, there's, there's been massive investment uh, in in coaching. I think has been it's been. Uh, you know, very, very crucial. Um, and then in, in also pitches, um, facilities for, for women specific. Uh, and just the structure of the league, I think uh, the Danish league uh, has been, you know, pretty good from an early, uh, early stage, which has obviously helped the, the women's game. You know, it's still a small country. So, you know, Denmark, uh, I, I think, had a bit of a, a blip, uh, did really well in, in uh, was it the 2017 Euros, where they, they went to the final, lost to, to Holland. Since then, it's a bit of, you know, a little bit up and down, but now they're looking to sort of come back. They've got Penilla Harder uh, at Chelsea, who's, who's one of the best players in the world, uh, and some good young players as well. So it, it's, it's, again, growing like everywhere else. You know, it's, it's fantastic to see what, uh, what is going on in a women's game. I've got a great idea, Claude, before yeah, you yeah. go to Heather. I've got a great idea, man. Yeah. I'm just looking online. The flights are a bit expensive. We can hire a camper van and just do it. We'll just go travelling in a camper van together, mate, around the country and report from the games in a camper van. Where's my invitation, Bridgie? Heather, I'm just emailing you now. <laughs> and Tommy as well. You know what, Sweden, Sweden's the front runner. They haven't lost a match in months, years. That's the idea. Well, big bloody camera for a lot of us. Let's go on a jolly trip. There you go. You're the man with the power. You're the man with the power. You sell it in, please. And I'll, there you go. I'll take Done. along. Done. I'll take a look. Heather, uh, we look, it's been a big weekend for women's football. Your former club, Sydney <laughs> FC, wrap up the premiership again for the second straight year. They're, they were very dominant all season. But, um, you know, almost I think a lot of football fans that maybe don't follow. I, I got this brought up to me after I did the highlight show. 
uh, a friend of mine who doesn't watch as much of the women's league said, it's finishing already. What do you mean it's finishing already? And, and when you look at that in Europe, we had an incredible weekend where, I mean, Barcelona stood out. Their record this season. Lads, I don't know if you've been following much of it. 23 games, 23 wins, 131 goals yeah. scored. 6-0 the other weekend, wasn't it? <laughs> Six against. So they, they've got a goal difference of plus 125. They are incredible. And, uh, you know, they're on fire. Bayern Munich have really developed their women's team. Similar to Juventus, they were late movers, but they're smashing it at the moment. 6-0, incredible bicycle kick in that game as well. Heather, they've got a long way to go. They've got Champions League football. They've got so much football left to play. And here in Australia, we're wrapping up already. Is this going to hurt us in the years to come? Now the maturity that, that the European game has and the length of their season with the amount of games played, are we going to feel the effects of this in the next 5, 10 years? Yeah, possibly. Um, but we need to define it, define as a nation um, what it is is it that's important to us. Is it that we're going to have a short season with a W League and use our developmental players and use this as a development league to then push our players on to European leagues or leagues in the US? I think um, we as a, as a nation need to need to know and understand what the direction is because we are going to get left behind. I think um, Joe Montemuro said it during the week. Um, that he's already uh, halfway through through a season. He's played 30, 35 matches or something like that. Ridiculous. Um, so yes, we, we are going to get left behind, but we need we need the right structures in place. We we need a longer season and we need more competitive matches. And for these young girls, the thing that I've loved with this W League, even though it's been short, I've absolutely loved seeing the young girls get a get an opportunity and an opportunity under pressure in competitive games that actually mean something. Whereas if all our best players were here in the W League. They wouldn't be getting that game time. So, yep, it, it would be ideal. And everyone's been asking for it. Can we extend the extend the W League? And- Hates, that's not just a problem in the W League. That is a fundamental flaw in the whole of Australia. There is not enough games being played across the board in men's, women's, juniors, seniors. When you compare to every other league or every competition, and most of them around the world that are the top elite leagues um, in continents around the world, they, they, you know, they may have a month off or two month tops. Whereas here, I, I just think that they, there's not enough football um, being played. And if you, if you do the maths, it's a numbers game. If you, if you put the minutes together in the hours that you train and you play, man, we're way behind. Which there has been a performance gap report um, through Football Australia with the, the minutes and, and what needs to be done. And this last pass um, A-League and W-League season, the minutes have increased quite dramatically. But like you said... But still nowhere near. Nowhere near enough. But we need, we're, we're in a unique situation geographically. It's very, very difficult to be able to have a sustainable league and a league that plays all the matches. We're not just down the road just to pop down to, to yeah. France or, or Belgium to have a, have a couple of games here and there. And that's why it's difficult for the national team as well. So how can we think a little bit laterally to, to get those minutes up? But we can't just have games and minutes. It's more about competitive games under pressure um, week in, week out. So that's one thing that we need to address. Yeah. But it's been the same problem for 20, 30 years. It's even when the golden generation came through, it was the same problem. But majority of the players were playing in Europe. But they was going to say they were in Europe playing around the world and they're getting that game time in and that's how their edu- football education went through the roof because the games that they played. Yeah, absolutely. So that's at the moment, that's the, that's the short-term answer is to send our players over to, to either the US League or Europe. Uh, I like to I like to compare our nation and our national teams to a nation like Denmark, Tommy, because Denmark you've you've got you've got a mature league, but it's not a massive league. 
right? But you've got your teams that have a very professional setup. And I dare say when you look at the national team, there will be local players. You will export maybe the best of the best. Do you think Denmark have nailed it, this generation of players now? What do you put it down to? Do you put it down to a good local system? Yes, they're playing abroad and they're playing for the Chelsea's and they might be playing for the Inters of the world, but they came from the Danish system initially, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was something, you know, there, there's always been a, um, a structure in Denmark in place where, you know, bigger clubs locally um, and everything happens there. So, so you've got abundance of coaches, a lot of volunteers, um, a system where, you, you know, there's, there's a fluid movement between talent. So, so you would start in the third team. If you improve, you would move to the second team. You know, I feel in Australia, everything is locked up. You know, there's trials and then everything is shut down. You know, you, you are where you are. And then there's just been a lot of investment. Uh, the, the strategy, everyone has bought in. You know, they've, they've, uh, they've got a motto that everyone has agreed on is uh, part of something bigger. And that's small clubs, you know, buying into being development, you know, buying into pushing players onto bigger clubs, um, you know, making sure that they focus on, on, on giving them a good base, good coaching. And I think that's what's totally lacking in Australia is, is, is that structure uh, uh, and, and, and solidarity. I think everyone buying into something, you know, producing players for, for the Socceroos, for the Matildas. Um, you know, everyone seems to just be looking after themselves. History plays a really big part in this. If we look at a club like Hakoa, if we look at a club like South Melbourne, if we look at a club like Sydney United, I remember going back in the day to a Sydney United where you start the, the morning at 9 o'clock, you've got your juniors playing, and then you stay all night, or a Marconi that I played for. You stay all night because that's what you did, and you, you watched your heroes play. Um, it's difficult to do that in our leagues at the moment. There's no um, junior grassroots right up until the senior team, so... And, and the depth of the history as well. So we, we, we were, uh, the A-League was born, what, over 10 years ago. So um, I think that's a, that's a big thing. And it, in Denmark, there's just so much history attached to, to each club, even the club that I played for, uh, Fortuna Uring, when I was there. The history there, it's the old girls coaching, the, the new talent coming through and vice versa. It's just, and it's, 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 it's a proud moment to win a championship when you play with a club like that. Um, because there's history there and there's meaning. And I, I, I think um, that's something that Australia lacks. Hmm. I hope it happens because we've had this conversation with Bridgie before. I, I worry. I worry for the, the future of women's football because I worry that it, it may follow the same trajectory as the men because when I look at it, and we had that golden generation, Bridgie, we've spoken about it. You played with a lot of Aussies at the highest level in the Premier League, Champions League football. They were great players. But... When you go and you're an Australian player in England and the decision comes down to you or a local lad, it's always going to favour the local lad. And the way world football has gone, you look at the last four World Cups, Italy, France, Germany, Spain, four of the top European leagues. The only one missing is England and they, they look like they're going to win a tournament any second, right? So the top five European leagues are the nations that are winning tournaments and everyone else that's exporting players aren't ending up with the glory at the end of it. So you can't help but think that, you know, the, the strategy of exporting players has a use-by date and eventually you need to fix your home league and you want majority of your national team to be playing at home, right? Yeah, except for Belgium who they export players on purpose. Um, mm. They're more about their youth development and then they on-sell their players and utilise that money that they sell from the transfer to then put back into the youth system. So that's a great system, um, I think. Yeah. And that they're doing that on purpose. That's not just ad hoc. It's on purpose. 
but they know what they know what they are. That, that's their that's their mantra. They know what they are. They, they've got it. So yeah, so it is difficult. We know work needs to be done, but we want to stay positive here. And, and Heather, do, do you ever feel? I always wonder. Do you ever feel? I've spoken to this uh, about this with Amy about you know the the previous generation of Matildas, which definitely set the tone and you guys were so successful with the football that you had to play and the sacrifices you had to make do you ever feel like i mean it's amazing the way it looks but do you ever go damn i wish i was born just 10 15 years later and i could play at europe's top leagues and 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 on the on some of the the salaries that are being paid out now and some of the professionalism and the opportunities that there are in europe now no i'm i'm really grateful that i was part of the generation that i was part of i'm um i'm really proud to see that it's gone that way and that the players um, are able to be full-time professionals. I wouldn't take um, my journey away from anything. I, I feel the mm-hmm. memories we created, the um, the way, the style in which we played, the never-say-die attitude, attitude um, was the epitome of, of the Matildas um, when, when I played. So I think you need um, you need that grounding to then be able to propel you into what's next, and that's being paid, being full-time professionals. And um, I, I'll be honest with you, when it, when it came to... I remember when um, the W League amalgamated with the Sydney FCs. I remember wearing for the first time the Sydney FC jersey and I thought to myself, I actually can't believe I'm playing for Sydney FC and the captain of Sydney FC. That's how much it, that's how much it meant to me um, to want to play with a team that I'd supported in, in, in the A-League. So, um, And I'm sure that's the same for an Alana Kennedy or a Sam Kerr in Chelsea. I wish I was in these days closed because the money that's going around me, I'd be able to afford some expensive headsets instead of being using the ones that I got free with my iPhone, mate. Oh, God, Bridgie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you know what? I actually want to do want to talk about you too because uh, Heather, your your footballing journey. I got to see a sneak peek of Sidelined, which of course is an Optus Sport exclusive. Uh, some of the talent that we have here, and and we love being able to chat to you guys. But a lot of people don't know your storylines. A lot of people see the glitz and the glam and the highlights of the goals you scored, but uh, not everyone gets to see the the tough times. And this new series, Sidelined by Optus Sport, gets to delve into the, the toughest times in every footballer but Bridgie your story about a month ago was incredible and, and we had such a great response to that and Heather your one drops today I'm not sure if you knew that but your one comes out today on Optus Sport on I didn't Optus know Sport. it but the timing is everything being able to time things on the on the edge of the edge of the box ready to pounce is, is quality but yeah look I'm, I'm looking forward to see I haven't seen it so um, yeah good timing with International Women's Day yeah, yeah, I did see a piece of it, and it is a real inspiration, the way you guys speak, and I think it's just so good to see that you were so successful, but like every footballer at every level, you had to overcome so many hurdles to get there, so you are an inspiration to all of us, and Tommy, you are too, I'm not leaving you out here. Okay, Tommy. <laughs> Where's you your are, piece, Tommy? <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll drop at some point. Uh, but, he uh, dropped a lot in his career. Hey! Uh, you're a <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> oh goodness! Let's let's move let's move on to the, all the levels of Australian football because the MPL has pretty much kicked off around the country. MPL here in New South Wales kicked off MPL one, um, but Victoria kicked off a few weeks ago, and it's good to see you know the grassroots level and the future of the A League. Also, some A League footballers that are past it and they drop down and they keep playing in the MPL, and it's it's a it's a great level of football. You mentioned clubs like Marconi and Sydney United before Heather, and they're still stomping around there as well. And you can go even lower than that. There's football at every level. And recently we saw Roberto Carlos put his boots on for a pub team in England. And it was great. He played the game. He's, he's about 30 kilos overweight, but he's Roberto Carlos, so he can do whatever he wants. Did you see his free kick attempt when he kicked it out of the stadium? It was, it was good. They brought him another ball. They brought him another ball in. He cost, he cost the pub team more money because he lost the balls out of the stadium. <laughs> 
Oh, look, just the fact that he laced up his boots and played with a pub team is incredible. And after the game, he was FaceTiming Sergio Ramos. All the boys wanted him to FaceTime players. Uh, we recently saw Greg Inglis play local rugby league up in Queensland for his, his boyhood club. So I was thinking about you guys. Would, would you ever, or have you ever, laced them up and played for a local pub team, park football team, or would you ever consider it? Tommy, have you ever dropped down? What's the lowest <laughs> level you've played since your footballing career? Uh, you know, I've had a few uh, requests to play down the park, um, but I haven't sort of quite taken it yet. But I, I got a, a stark reminder of the realities uh, last year during the bushfires. We, we, we played a charity game. Uh, I thought I was fighting fit, uh, do a lot of cycling. Uh, I went out there, I dropped to the ground a few times and actually, oh, I... I <laughs> I got a quick reality check of uh, what my status was, so uh, it hasn't sort of spurred me on to uh, to play some some, full, <laughs> some football down the park, I must say. And, I, and I, I got a similar reality check, Tommy. We played in the Masters Sevens in Hong Kong, so there was I went and represented Walls End Boys Club, who were the only amateur team in there. Newcastle United ex players were in there, Nottingham Forest, and you know a lot of the English and Scottish lads were there on the drink, like the Rangers boys, and not taking the tournament too seriously. Why people would want to come and watch us run around a seven-a-side park is beyond me. But to see some of the heroes, and we played Ajax, and we got towelled up by Ajax. Yori Littman and looked like he could still grace the Premier League with. Liverpool, they beat us 10-0 I think it was, absolutely incredible frightening, that was just the air man Just you've got to hang the boots up, but I did play for a pub team when I was a professional footballer at Leeds United my best mate Gary Horn um, was working in a, in a nightclub and the nightclub was called Deep it was in Whitley Bay Seafront and they came up with a team name Deportivo to get the deep in, how good is that? So I, I put the boots on and played for the local pub team, Deportivo Lacarunia. There you go. <laughs> How'd you go? Surely, like they, they were. They do you were know what it, do you know what it is? The best, my best mate used to be better than me. Gary was an unbelievable footballer, but he was small. And that culture we come back to, the back then, it was kind of, oh, he's too small. He'll never make it physically. He was the best player on the park, mate. And he looked at me and he was like, "You're really a professional footballer." <laughs> <laughs> Heather, I, I heard that, you know, like Wikipedia and all these sites say you retired, but I heard you didn't retire. I heard you were playing up until last year. Is that true? Yeah, I played in the in, in the pub league. Oh, sorry, it's the top NPL one league uh, in Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed to fall in love. I needed to fall back in love with football as a player again. So I, I signed with um, Canberra Olympic. It was fantastic. And um, they, were, they were offering to pay me um, money. And I said, yep, the money can come after the game. You can... Uh, Give me a couple of beers after the game. That'll do me. So <laughs> we'll talk about culture and the, the dressing room of the culture of, of the of the dressing room went through the roof because all the girls were looking forward to playing and and then having a couple of beers after the game. So, yeah, that's, that's it's, my... It's great for the mental side of the game as well, Heather, isn't it, to get back in there and be back involved in a team sport. You know, I admire tennis players and golfers so much because, they, you know, when they're going through a tough time, there's just them and the caddies are them and the coaching team. As us, we are blessed. We play in team sport, and I just think it's absolutely amazing that we, we've got that because, you know, the, the, the off-field antics and the on-field antics oh, yeah, are stable with us forever. Yeah, even though I look like the Titanic in the middle of the field turning, but that's okay. We won't talk about that. <laughs> it's more about after the bat. <laughs> <laughs> did you get any stick, Heather? Did you? I'm sure you looked a lot better than Roberto Carlos, by the way, but uh, did you get any stick? Did you, did you cop anyone marking you that obviously knew who you were? and tried to go extra hard on you or tried to prove that they're better than you? Yeah, than you. All, all the time, all the time. The thing is that I'm just not as quick as I used to be. 
So I would um, dive in quite often or I'd, I'd do a little trip. Um, but yeah, I used to, yeah, everyone wanted to get stuck into me, but that's, um, I just I just wanted to have fun. That was the most important thing and the kids to come and watch and um, and whatnot. So it was, it, was, it was a fantastic season last year. Brilliant. That's what we love about football, right? You can go down to the local park, see the over 45s and you can be just as entertaining as the Premier League at times. <laughs> Tommy, I'm going to go to, to the J-League because we got, we got J-League, of course, live here on Optus Sport and Mitch... Mitch Langerak is playing in that league, and, and we saw recently in a game which involved the defending champions, Kashua, there was a an absolute Dion Dublin-like Shea Given goalkeeping howler where the goalkeepers rolled it down to go and play it out, and the strikers just hopped in behind him and tapped it into an empty net. That's so cheeky. Nothing wow. wrong with that, though. We've seen it happen before at the highest level. Uh, anyone try this on you? Uh, I, I, it, that specific thing, putting the ball down, I had a coach when I was about 10 years old, and he drilled it into me. Always look behind you, always look behind you. Uh, but, but it came, you know, I, um, I got into my first, uh, my first, f- uh, first team opportunity in Denmark, uh, playing in the Super League. And uh, we were in a struggle inside. I played with Thomas Graveson, uh, a few of the other sort of young up-and-coming t- uh, uh, players. And we were playing at bottom of the league, sort of crucial game. And, and I caught the ball from a corner, were a bit too smart, looking to sort of distribute quickly. I had the ball in one hand, and they had an, an old fox of a striker. He went from behind me, knocked the ball with his head out of my hand, and scored the winning goal. Uh, I got I got dropped. Uh, Graveson got dropped. A few of the other young boys got dropped. And, uh, yeah, it took me a few years before I played in the first team again. So, uh, hard lesson. So, it has happened, and uh, it, it just proves that you have to, you know, you have to concentrate at all times. You can't... You know, you, you can't take your eye off the ball. Tommy, I'll tell you who was the master at that. I witnessed him do it a couple of times in training at, at Leeds United when we signed him. And I, no, he must have tried it against you in the Premier League because he did it and he scored for Tottenham. That was Robbie Keane. He was brilliant at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he got a few like that. Suarez, uh, Suarez were, he was quite smart as well. He was always looking, you know, to get on the blind side and, and just, you know, just wait for something to happen. Yeah. It's a goalkeeping nightmare, defender's nightmare as well. We're going to wrap it up here on the Gagan Pod. And, and before we do go, we've got some awesome football coming up during the week. Of course, there's Premier League also on Friday morning with Chelsea taking on Norwich. And there's Champions League throughout the week as well. And I want to quickly get your opinion on a couple games before we go. We'll start with you, Bridgie, on the first game. Bayern Munich are taking on Salzburg. And the score is 1-1 at the moment. They go back to Munich. Are Salzburg in with any chance in this game? Of course they are. And Bayern Munich slipped up the other week against Leverkusen as well. There was a comical error. Muller scored his first ever goal, own goal, can you believe? In 407th appearance. Um, yeah, they've got every chance. Uh, Bayern at home, I think, will be strong. Obviously, they'll have the home support. Um, but well, 1-1 um, going into this. Bayern have got that the, the away goal. But it's, it's everything to play for. This is going to be a very, very exciting game. This is the one I'm looking forward to watching. They'll probably be the main game on Wednesday morning because Liverpool play Inter, but Liverpool have a 2-0 lead. Heather, any chance at all that Inter turn this one around? No, I don't think so. Liverpool, the way in which they're playing and the, their quality. So, no, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to be nice and direct and say no chance at all. For Martinez will score another hat-trick. It'll be 3-2 Inter Milan. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Tommy, I'm not even going to ask you about City nah, Sporting nah, nah. because, That's unfortunately, that was, that, That's was, done that was tough for the Portuguese. That's done and dusted. You just send you under-20s to go get some experience. But Real Madrid PSG. Oof. It's 1-0 PSG, but now they're at the Bernabeu. What are you seeing here? Uh, you know, it's going to be tight, but I, I still see uh, PSG with the counter-attack, the pace they have. Um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Mbappe didn't play, I think, at the weekend. Uh, it'll be interesting to see um, if, if he's available. 
but yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be tight. Um, but yeah, I still fancy PSG. Uh, the pressure is obviously on them. You know, they, they need to win it this year uh, for Poch to have any chance of, uh, of staying in a job uh, if we're giving him any chance. So, but it's going to be interesting. Like, well, yeah. Tom, well, Tommy Tuchel was sacked after losing a final. So I yeah, think if history yeah. suggests anything, he has to win one to keep his job. Uh, brilliant football coming up all week and every day. And as always, you can have the fallout here on Optus Sport. And there's Women's Super League action as well, Heather. Chelsea are eight points behind Arsenal at the top of the table, but they have a doubleheader this weekend against West Ham and Aston Villa, which is really good. It's really great because the two clubs look the same. So, you know, you don't even have to adjust your eyes. You're just playing. It looks like you're playing the same team twice within three days. Do Chelsea still have a chance of winning this title? They've got three games in hand and eight points behind Arsenal. Who do you fancy to take out the WSL? Yeah, look, I, I, of, of course Chelsea. Chelsea are the favourites to, to win it. Of, of course they do. Have a look at the strike force they got up top. Um, Sam, yeah. we talk about um, players playing um, outstanding for their national team. Sam just play The way Sam plays for Chelsea... Um, I wish she played like that for Australia, and she hasn't in recent times. Mm. Um, but I really think Arsenal's just... Caitlin Forge just got on the score sheet for Arsenal um, in, in, last night. So Arsenal are doing really well. Um, they It was 2-2. But look, I, I, Chelsea are the favourites, definitely, especially you know three, three games in hand and who they're playing. So um, I'll back to Chelsea. But it's great to see Arsenal uh, uh, certainly going in with a fight as well with... Um, with Steph Catley and, and Caitlin Ford in, in fine form as well. So I can't wait for, for them to come home and, and play against New Zealand in April. So let's hope um, we get a win up there. So nah, Definitely. And, and for all our guys listening at home, you can catch all the WSL action, the women's Euros, and you'll be set with everything going into the Women's World Cup next year, which we'll be covering, of course, live and exclusive here on Optus Sport. Heather, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you and your expertise on the podcast today. And you know what? It's just nice to hear your voice. I'm sick of listening to the same old voices every week. So thanks so much for joining us. Good for diversity. <laughs> hey, good for diversity. Yes. Wink, wink, wink. Let's leave Schwartzy out of this one permanently and let's let's get Heather on. What do we reckon? All day long. I'll take Heather over Schwartzy all day long. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Heather, Tommy, Bridgie, and everyone from home. Get your questions in next week on the pod as we try to dissect this whole world of football in less than an hour. Thanks so much for joining us on the Gagan Pod and have a fantastic week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.